Go ahead. That's a frozen video. Okay. <laughs> Amen. Well, that was very good. Good report. And uh, well, I was thinking uh, as he was talking, Brother Chris, given his missions report, I was think. I, I, I all of a sudden I started thinking about Philip. Now I, I had prepared another message, but. I'll share that one next time. But what came to my mind was the book of Acts. And one individual in the book of Acts just stood out to me while uh, Brother Chris was talking, and that is the, um, the deacon, Philip, who became known as the evangelist, Philip. And uh, I want to I look at his life for just a moment because I think we can all identify with this. And while Chris was talking, I know that m most of us, we, we can't identify with the pulpit version of Chris Brochu. You know, the, the getting up in front of the crowds and teaching and preaching and that sort of thing. Now, I can because, you know, but... The average churchgoer, you know, is not going to be able to see themselves in that, in that place. But if you'll notice, the fruit that Brother Chris was talking about was born into, uh, uh, through the lives of people that he spent time with, not in the pulpit, but one-on-one. -on -one. Some of these people he spent hours with, just pouring into them the love of God, the love of the Father, and, and ministering uh, to them healing and deliverance and, and telling them how much God loves them and how, how important they are to God and, and bringing them out of their, uh, their sordid past into God's destiny for their lives. And uh, we can all do that. That part of what Chris is doing is not something that's just Chris is the only one in the world that has an anointing to do that. We all have an anointing to uh, uh, minister on that level, I believe. And, and uh, what Chris is doing is he's just basically, you know, uh, provoking us unto good works. We should all be involved in that, and we should all be provoked to do that. In Acts chapter 1... Verse uh, 8, Jesus is telling his disciples right before he ascends into heaven. He's saying, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. The, the only requirement for you having this power is for the Holy Ghost to come on you. How many of you have had the Holy Ghost to come upon you? Powerful things are birthed in the life of a person who receives the Holy Spirit. That's, that's the words of Jesus. And he says, here's what's going to happen. You're going to be witnesses unto me. Witnesses or ambassadors or representatives or people who give evidence. A witness is someone who gives evidence 
Uh, I know that that word is a, is a word where we get the word martyr, but it's someone who gives their life doing something. They, they give their life doing something. And he says, you're gonna, you're gonna, your life is going to be committed to me, and you're going to be representing my heart, my vision, my gospel to the world. And he says, you'll do, it, you'll do this uh, unto me both in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Amen? Amen. Then in Acts chapter 2, we see where they, they all received the Holy Ghost. Yes. They all received the Holy Ghost. And, uh, and so it begins. The representation of the heart of God begins, not with just the apostles, but all of them. And Acts chapter 1 gives us a little list of some of the people that were there. But we know that uh, on the day that it happened, 120 were gathered in the upper room. And they all received the Holy Ghost. They all received power to give their lives as witnesses for, for Jesus. And so they began to do it. Well, the church began to grow. And then in Acts chapter... Uh, Acts chapter... Four, you know, there's this miracle at the gate, beautiful, that causes the church to grow uh, uh, into multiple thousands. And so they had, they had a problem. Uh, they had a lot more people than 12 apostles could uh, take care of. And so in Acts chapter 6, they set aside seven men full of faith and full of the Holy Ghost to wait tables to serve the people and take care of the, uh, of the distribution of food and, and, and such things so that the apostles could give themselves to the ministry of the word and prayer and fasting and, um, and such things. And uh, those seven are, are listed there in chapter 6 of Acts. And verse 5, we, uh, let's see here. Let's see. saying, Please the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, they proselyte of Antioch. So they chose, they chose these seven men. Well, the second one chosen was Philip. First one was Stephen. We know what happened to Stephen. You know, he opened his mouth in the, in the temple and said, you know, God's going to destroy this temple. And they, and they didn't like that, so they stoned him to death. And then Philip, so Philip was chosen as one of the deacons in the church. So we're, we're not talking about an apostle here. We're talking about, you know, a church deacon, a servant, a servant in the church. But he gave himself wholly and completely to his serving the people. And next thing we know in, in uh, chapter 8, we see him going off into uh, Samaria. Somehow or another, he wound, he wound up down in Samaria, which was, uh, uh, you've got, you've got uh, Jerusalem. He's, he's in Jerusalem. He's serving God in Jerusalem. Then he goes, he goes into Samaria, right? Yeah. And uh, we find him there, and he's just telling people 
what he knows, and they start getting saved all over the place, and they start having this huge revival meeting, and tons and tons and tons of these uh, mixed-breed, um, racially separated people, you know, the Jews considered them dogs, and they wouldn't have anything to do with them. Well, here goes Philip down there. He's, Philip is the first person to really go outside of the, the, uh, the Jewish race, because he went into Samaria and they were, they were a mixed race, and uh, they were not, they were looked down upon, they were, they were, uh, there was a lot of prejudice against them, and here he goes outside of, outside of his prejudice, he goes down there and starts ministering to these Samarians, and they start getting saved, the whole town, the whole town is in an uproar because they're all getting saved, talking about harvest. And it's just, it's just Philip, the deacon, doing it. Well, so he sends word back to Jerusalem to the apostles saying, hey, we got a bunch of new believers down here. What am I going to do with them? So they said, well, we need to come down there and make it official. So they go down there, and they find out all these people are saved. So they lay hands on them, and they all get baptized in the Holy Ghost, start speaking in tongues, and all kinds of signs and wonders and miracles are happening. And an angel taps Philip on the shoulder and says, I need you to go down into Gaza. Well, Gaza was, he had to go through Judea to get to Gaza. You understand what I'm saying? He starts out in Samaria. He, go, he starts out in Jerusalem. He goes to Samaria. He goes through Judea to get to Gaza. And there in Gaza, what does he do? He joins himself to one man. He does a crisp rose shoe. He joins himself to one man. And he explains the gospel to that man and to the point where that man can receive Jesus. He baptizes him there in, in a, a, you know, a, a rain puddle on the side of the road. And when they come up out of the water, he, Philip is immediately taken away by the Holy Spirit, translated to another location. You know, that, that was... Uh, uh, Acts uh, 8.40 says, Philip was found in Azotus. Well, look at verse 39. He said, when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip, caught him away. I mean, that's like a catching away. That, that's like a rapture. Philip was taken away that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. Can you imagine this this uh, this eunuch? He's getting baptized by this dude that explained the scriptures to him, led him to Jesus, and they come up out of the water and they're all wet, you know. And all of a sudden, he's go Philip's gone. Now that's this is the age we're living in, folks. This is the church age. God can move His servants wherever He wants to, whenever and however He wants to. And so, verse forty, Philip was found. He didn't just disappear like Elijah, but he was found somewhere else. He was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities. Passing through what? Passing through Judea. He preached in all the cities of Judea until he came to Caesarea. Now, Caesarea was a, a coastal town, a port city, a major port city, and there he set up housekeeping, and that's where he was living the last time we heard of him. But that wasn't the end of him. Now, now he's in Caesarea. He's, he's, uh, he's married, and, uh, and he, has these, he has four daughters. 
Well, these daughters, all four of them turned into prophetesses. Amen. And uh, we think, well, you know, praise God. Hallelujah. That's the end of him. But what, what did he do? He preached in Jerusalem. He preached in Judea. He preached in Samaria. And he wound up in Caesarea. And you say, well, what about the uttermost parts of the earth? His home in, in Caesarea became the landing point, the receiving point of these Tarridos. These tired missionaries. Tarridos. <laughs> Amen. And and uh, not only do was he involved in the in the sending sending out of missionaries, but he his home became like the receiving port for missionaries coming off the field, because we see in the book of Acts that that the apostle Paul, you know, when it, when Paul first went on his first missionary journey. He, he, he left from Antioch, which was further north. He left from Antioch, went on his missionary journey, and came back to Antioch and gave his report. And then his next missionary journey, he goes off, you know, to, uh, uh, you know, Galatia and Macedonia, that whole area. And he comes back, and he, makes his, he comes back to Antioch and makes his way to Jerusalem and all that. But something happened while Paul was gone on his missionary journeys. Uh, something happened involving Peter. Peter came to Caesarea. Why did he come to Caesarea for? Probably to visit with Philip. And he, and he stayed at the house of Simon the Tanner. Y'all remember that? Yep. And he goes up on the roof, and he's waiting for them to fix his lunch, and he's, he's up there on the roof sunning himself, and he falls into a trance, and he has this vision of the sheet that opened up. And the Lord's saying, you know, uh, all kinds of unclean animals and, you know, cloven, hooved animals and all that, uh, you know, we're on that sheet. And the Lord says, kill and eat. And uh, he said, no, I'm a good Jew. I'm not going to do that. And God said, don't, don't call what I have cleansed uh, unclean. He had, that, he had that vision three times. And then the Lord spoke to him and said, there's two men at the door. They're here to get you and to take you off to the house of Cornelius. Well, guess where Cornelius lived? He lived in Caesarea. Who else lived in Caesarea? Philip and his four prophetess daughters. You think maybe they might have crossed paths somehow or another? You know, maybe, maybe they knew each other? How many, how many of you would guess that Cornelius may have known about Philip? Philip probably knew about Cornelius because he was the head of the, of the Roman squadron there. So... So Phil, uh, Peter, he goes to the house of Cornelius, and you know what happened there. Oh, yeah. He's preaching, and the Holy Ghost comes down, and everybody in the house gets saved and starts speaking in tongues. Yeah. That's how Peter knew that they were born again, because he heard them speaking in tongues just like he did on the day of Pentecost. So he said, who am I to withstand God? You know, this is, this is God's doing. Well, that all happened in Caesarea where Philip lived. So from there on, whenever Paul went off on a missionary journey, he didn't come back to Antioch. He came back to Caesarea. And he would stay at the house of Philip, the evangelist. And on his last missionary journey, 
Right before he went to Jerusalem and got arrested and then hauled off to Rome, he came to the house of Philip. And that's where Agabus, the prophet, came in and, and tied, tied a towel around uh, uh, Paul's hands and feet and said, this, if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to wound up bound. And they tried to persuade him not to go. And he said, no, this is, this is God's plan for my life. I'm going to go anyway. God said, I, I must go to Jerusalem. And so he went to Jerusalem, but the prophecy came to pass. Agabus was a true prophet. That happened in Philip's living room. So now we have Philip in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria. He impacted the other parts of the earth, the Ethiopian. He impacted Ethiopia. By the way, the Ethiopia went to Ethiopia, and, and a church was born there that still exists today. It still exists today. And so did he have fruit? Yeah, he had fruit that affected the other, you know, the, the beyond his reach. You know, when he talks about the uttermost parts of the earth, he's talking about, you know, not only places where you go, but places that are beyond your reach. Like right now, right now, Brother Jimmy, pe people in India are watching Brother Jimmy's YouTube videos. And he's never been to India. And I looked, you know, I looked at my, uh, you know, uh, uh, YouTube videos, you know, your, your analytics. And I looked at that, and, and they have a little deal that shows who your listeners are. You know, about 15% about of the people who watch my videos are in Russia. And I've never been to Russia. So that's, that's places beyond my reach. Well, see, you may think, well, South, you know, South Africa and Zambia and places like that are beyond my reach. So, you know, but we can, we can propimco Brother Chris and Sister Maxine and we can send them beyond our reach. And when they come back, we can receive them just like the house of Philip. And these four, these four daughters that prophesied, you know, what do you think they did when a missionary came in all tired and weary and dusty and, and, and seasick, you know, and all this kind of stuff, and they're just worn out, and they come to the house of Philip or the house of Cornelius or wherever they're being put up? What do you think these four prophetess daughters did? They ministered to them. They served them, and they prophesied over them. They would have an encouraging word for them. That's what prophets do, you know. They encourage Amen? And they comfort. That's right. and, and they don't just always give direction. They, they cur encourage and comfort. And, uh, and I see these four daughters as being very efficient at it. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. Bible doesn't say much about them. I don't even think we have their names. But I'm telling you, the Bible does mention them. And they were there the day Paul received his prophetic word from Agabus. They were there. And so uh, Philip... That one man, everybody say one man, one man, fulfilled everything Jesus said in Acts 1.8. You'll receive power to give yourself as, as living examples and witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and into the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, listen, that's something we can all do. We can't all go to Africa but we can all be a part of what's happening in Africa. Yeah. 
We can't all go to Nepal or India or wherever, you know, Central America. But I'll tell you what, a lot of us can do a whole lot more than we think we can do in, the, in that respect of going. Uh, it's like uh, I heard, I think it was, uh, trying to think who said it, uh, one of my favorite preachers. He said, instead of asking God for permission to go, you should ask God for permission to stay. Because the Bible says go. Man, the Bible doesn't say stay. It says go. So if you're going to stay, you better have permission to stay. Amen? But we can be a part, we can be a part of the Philip aspect of, of the kingdom of God where we are caught up in and involved in and, and heavily uh, participating in what God is doing in the world. Amen? And by being a part of this church, uh, you know, just see yourself as, as uh, you know, part of uh, the Caesarea spirit, you know, the, the spirit of Philip the evangelist who, who, who used his life, his whole life, to further the gospel, whether it was himself, through his daughters, or through the missionaries that passed through his house. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Well, that, that's just what popped into my mind while Chris was talking. <laughs> and I just wanted to share that with you. And, and uh, next Sunday, I'm going to share with you, uh, we're, I'm going to talk to you, you know, next Sunday is Christmas morning. Yay. And yes, we are going to have church. Whether it be me and Ruth or me and Ruth and you, we're going to have church. And because it's Christmas morning, I can't think of anything more appropriate to do on Sunday morning, Christmas Day. So we are going to have church. And... Uh, I'm going to share with you how the virgin birth of Jesus guarantees your victory over Satan. The fact that Jesus was born of a virgin is what defeated Satan. And I'll, I'll say more about that next week. I already got the notes right here, you know, ready to go. Praise God. So next, next Sunday. So how many of you are thrilled to be a part of this church and a part of the life and ministry of, of Chris and Maxine Brochu and Adam and Julie Culp and Don and Becky Cameron and all these Jim and Linda Chomlin and all these missionaries that, 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 we are, that we are sending and receiving and sending and receiving. And in March, in March... John and, and Ann Brown are going to be here, and, and uh, uh, you'll, get, you'll get to meet the happy couple again. Amen. The many lives of Annette Torrey, Ann Wood, now Ann Brown. Amen. So praise God for that. Off in the Philippines, doing the work of God, and we are there. But you see, we get to send them and receive them and send them and receive them. Amen. That's an important ministry. And you know what? If, if there was no Cornerstone Church, the Thomason House would still be like that. We would still be sending and receiving people in our home because, because that's just who we are. I mean, we're, you know, maybe I'm just a Philip. I don't know. But uh, call me Philip Bar Barnabas. Philip Barnabas. I'm... I'm the evangelist and the encourager. Amen. 
Praise God. Stand up with me and uh, let's, let's pray and then we'll, we'll kind of mosey on to lunch. Praise the Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just sanctify this moment in time. We ask that everything that Chris showed us and spoke to us, Lord, will have a permanent implant upon our memory, not just so we can clap our hands and praise Chris and Maxine, but Lord, so that we can say uh, and catch the vision that there's, there's things that we can do right here in the lives of people across the kitchen table, uh, you know, in, in our homes or in, in our places of work, Lord, wherever we are, we can have a lasting impact in the lives of individuals. And we give you praise. Thank you, Lord, for the grace of God that is at work in us and through us on behalf of other people, and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. 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 amen.